Earlier in December, I uh, lost my wedding ring. It was at least in the morning, I couldn't find it. Usually I come home, and I take my wallet, and I take my keys, and I take my wedding ring, and I put them on the counter. I'm just not a big ring wearer, so I mean, I wear it in, in public because I know I need to, and uh, to keep the ladies away, okay? <laughs> so sorry, I'm taken, okay? Uh, but I'm, I'm not real big on having a wedding ring. So we, I mean, I, I like the wedding ring. Don't, okay, don't get me wrong here. It's, I'm going to say something foolish here. Uh, but actually just wearing the, the jewelry of it, um, I would have been more inclined to get like ring tattoos or something. Uh, so, so I got a, a simple wedding ring, which I think kind of caused it to be lost. Anyways, looking around and it's like, I got to go, but I can't find it. So I'm looking on the ground and... Uh, my son Eric had gotten this little robot that sits on the counter, and we thought maybe it pushed it off. It's, that takes too long to explain. Uh, I'm looking in shoes and bags, under things, behind, and I just can't find the thing. So maybe it's at church. Sometimes when I'm working, I, I take it off and put it on the desk behind me, and, um, but it's not there. And so I spent the whole day just, you know, like I said, normally, um, sometimes I, I don't like, you know, having it, but when I know I'm supposed to have it, now I spent the whole day feeling like my hand's naked. It just, it felt strange. And I couldn't find my ring. And where did it go? And I, I had asked Hope and she couldn't find it. And later I went to pick up the, the kids from school. And as we're almost home, uh, my youngest, Joel, tells me, I have your ring. It's been in my pocket. I took it to school. <laughs> oh, well, why? And then, and then I realized I was just glad that, that he had it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And I think he said uh, something about I was, I was playing precious. I'm like, okay, I know what you're doing here. <laughs> that because it is kind of a simple ring, it kind of uh, passes for the ring of power. And so, you know, Gollum, you know, my precious. <laughs> 50 habits. So that's what was going on. And I think he put it in his pocket and took it to school. Maybe not the safest place for my ring, but I was glad to have it back. This passage today, Jesus is going to talk about two different things that were lost, and they were found, and it was the cause of great rejoicing. So let's read through both of these accounts. And in both of these, we're going to see, first, there is something of value that is lost. Second, the, the caretaker, the owner of this, is looking diligently and carefully to find this. There's a lot of concern and a lot of looking. And finally, when it is found, there is great joy. There is rejoicing because what has been lost has been found. So it's going to talk about the lost sheep and then the lost coin. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. So that's the setup here. This is what's going on. Jesus is teaching, and you got people that are coming to hear him, and you got tax collectors and sinners. And, you know, for, for the good people of Israel, these were the ones, you don't want to attract these kind of people. I mean, these are the people that you, you don't want around. You know, the tax collectors were considered traitors because they were collecting money from their own people, from other Jews, for the, for the Romans. And so, in these other notorious sinners, I mean, there were some rabbis that taught that you don't even be around these people even to teach them the word of God because they're, they're so awful. But now these people are coming to Jesus, and not only are they coming, um, 
In verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes, who thought they were pretty good, by the way, they grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So not only is, are they coming, but Jesus is receiving them. He's, he's having, uh, extending friendship and, and eating with them, which was considered a big deal. Verse 3, So he, Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord, and this is what we are looking at today. We're going to draw out a few truths in this. There's two different stories, but the first thing that we see in, in both of these is that there was great concern over something that was lost. And that's something that we should realize, is that there, there should be great concern when something that is of value, when something that is important, is lost. It shouldn't be uh, something that we're apathetic about. It, it is something that, that should concern us. And we saw this in both of these, both of these cases. You had the, the lost sheep. And Jesus is saying, even somebody that they have a hundred sheep, they don't just say to themselves, well, I still got 99, so yeah, one's out there, and well, whatever happens to it, happens to it. No, there's concern over this one sheep, even though there is uh, 99 others. And you can say, well, 99, if you were taking a test, 99 is still an A+. No, he's concerned about the one sheep that is is lost. Uh, this shepherd, if he had a flock of 100, this would be considered a, a modest-sized herd. You might think 100 sheep, that's, that's quite a bit. Uh, but in, in Jewish tradition, 300 was considered a large herd. And also, this person, um, he didn't have a, a different guard or somebody else that he would send. He went out and found them himself. You know, the shepherd at night, he would, he would bring the sheep in before putting them in the pen, and he would count them to make sure that they were all there. You know, I don't know how they stayed awake, because it's counting sheep. So it seems like that would just put you to sleep. You notice one of these sheep is, is missing. So again, this would be like if you worked at a car dealership. You know, say, well, there's 99 cars on the lot, and well, one just, one's gone. So, you know, what, what's one Lexus? Big deal. No, you'd want, this would be something of concern. Whether it was yours, because it is valuable, I mean, sheep was a valuable commodity in those days. Or if you were the one entrusted with this, you're like, I, I, I'm not going to lose this sheep. I'm gonna, I need to go find this. 
the owner is counting on me to keep these safe. We also saw this woman that loses a coin, uh, identifies a, a drachma. It'd be a, this would be a day's wage for an average worker. So, I don't know, in today's, it all depends, you know, what people make, but let's say it was, be today like losing a $100 bill. Again, it's not necessarily losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands, but you would spend time, if you lost a $100 bill, I'd, I'd be looking around for a $100 bill. Uh, there'd be something that would need to find. And for this lady, uh, this might have been her, her life savings. You know, it says if she had 10 of these and she's lost one of these, uh, sometimes they would wear these on a necklace to keep them safe. Uh, some think this might be some kind of a dowry or this might be you know, her, her saving for, for later in life that she needed to live on. So this would be a big thing if she lost this. So it says she, she lights a lamp. Uh, in those days, most homes were probably about the size of a one-car garage, probably had a dirt floor with, with straw, and so it would be really easy to, to lose a coin so she's sweeping it, she's looking everywhere trying to find this. This is something of value. There should be great concern when something of value is lost. And so if there's something that is, is lost, if, if people are lost, do we recognize them having great value? We also see as part of this that, yeah, something was lost. It was, it was gone, it was missing, it was not where... It ought to be. And we just had Christmas, and uh, you, you know you're, you're, you're getting older when you start actually asking for, for socks for Christmas. Because kids are thinking, you'd never do that. One day you'll find yourself asking for socks, and my mom uh, calls me, you know, what do you want? And I said, give me, give me some wigwam socks, because they're, they're great. I don't know if they have those around here. There's a factory in Wisconsin and an outlet, so I'd ask for I'd ask for wigwam socks. They're just these nice, kind of thick socks, and so I got them, and I was I was happy to get socks. So, and I'm bringing them back and thinking, well, these will be great. You know, they'll last me about you know two months, and then one of them will be uh, the, each each will have a partner that's missing, because uh, who knows what happens to these things. And I went home and checked, and I have like a uh, just piles of socks, but then have like the missing ones. And I went through, and I counted how many socks that I have that are, like, missing their partner. Look at this. And these are awesome socks. One. Okay, and they're, they're all different, slightly different. I think these are kind of close to the same. Nope, they're slightly different. So I could start, you know, just mixing and matching. You know, maybe match by thickness instead. Uh, or be like my, my son Joel... Uh, I, I don't know if he still does it, but you know, he went for years never wearing two of the same socks because you get up in the morning and you can't decide, are you going to wear Batman or are you going to wear Spider-Man? Well, the answer, you wear one of both, and that's how you do it. Uh, so I, have, do any of you know where socks go? What happens? I mean, scientists tell us that things don't just disappear. They don't just, but maybe the rules are different with socks, is that how it works? Is there an alternate dimension that opens up in the, in the dryer? I, I, it is unexplainable. I don't know how socks get lost. I can't tell you that. But what I can tell you is what has happened to us. I can tell you what has happened to people and why, why we are lost. Because the Bible explains that to us. That this is our condition. 
that we um, come into this world, we are lost, and it's, it's because of sin. Some people don't like referring to people as, as lost people, but that's what the Bible describes. And I think that's a good way to describe our condition, that we're, uh, we're not where we're supposed to be. We're separated from our home. We're estranged from uh, the one that, that owns us, that loves us, that cares for us. How do we get this way? 700 years before Christ, the prophet Isaiah, he had a prophecy about the Messiah, the Christ that would come. And this is in Isaiah 53. And in part of that, he writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He's talking about sins. He's going to use several words that mean our sins. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we were healed. And then in verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This tells us both our condition, our problem, and this also tells us what the solution that God made is. That's, in Isaiah's time, it was prophesied it, this was going to happen. And for us, we look back and this has happened 2,000 years ago. That we each are sinners. This is one of the many verses in Scripture that talks about that every single one of us, uh, we are sinners. We have chosen our way instead of God's way. We have wandered away from, from the Lord. We have wandered away by choosing to do things our way, choosing to make our law what we want to live by. We have wandered into sin. And in fact, we come into this world already lost. It's not a matter of we we were found and we've gotten ourselves lost. We come into this world already lost. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created with God. They walked with him. They were where they were supposed to be. They were at home with the Lord. They were in fellowship with him. But ever since they decided to to listen to the devil and to sin and to do their way instead, they became lost in sin. And now all of their descendants down to us, we come into this world already pre-lost. And when we sin ourselves, we just, we make ourselves loster. Become more loster-er. And that's our condition. We're lost in sin. We're not where we're supposed to be. We're separated from the God that created us, the God that loves us. So, there should be concern when something of value is lost. And we see in these stories, these parables that Jesus told, that thankfully, the person that lost them didn't just say, well, it's gone. Instead, he, the, the man and the the lady, they searched diligently. And that's another point, is that we will search diligently to find what we love. If it's something that we love, if it's something that we value, we will look for it. We will spend our time uh, trying to find this. We will get on our hands and knees if need to. We will dig in the, in the cushions of the couch and whichever disgustingness uh, is, is in these cushions, to find what we, have, what we have lost. 
but it has to be of value to us. Sometimes there are things that they really are of value, but if, if you don't recognize the value, you won't necessarily spend the time looking for them. Um, parents, have you ever, ever have your kids lose their stuff? You know, they lose their backpack, they lose their jacket. Sometimes they don't spend the time looking for it because it, maybe it, they don't value it as much uh, because maybe they didn't pay for it and it was something we have to teach them to value and take care of their things. And so there's, there can be a difference between something being valuable and how much we recognize that value, how much we value it. Is it precious to us? And... We want to find that which really is precious to us. And when we do, we'll, we'll go out looking. We'll spend the time to do this. Uh, we had a, a, a cat that we took in. When we moved to the area and we lived in an apartment up in Kentwood for a few years, and uh, we had this, this stray cat, which my wife claimed, um, and tricked me into having, you know, she said, you know, let's, let's just in, invite it in, you know, just, just tonight. It's cold out. So and then we ended up having the cat for the rest of its life. Uh, but it would go outside and it would hunt and it would do this, and sometimes it would disappear for a while. And the one time the, the cat wasn't coming back, and at this point, I spent every single night going out looking for this cat. You know, we put out posters. I think it was about two weeks I was spending every single night going around the neighborhood, calling out for, for Amadala the kitty, uh, trying to, to find her back, going out through the parks and different places, uh, just yelling and trying to find this kitty. And eventually, after two weeks, found her you know, in the park, and she was under a bush, and she was scared, and I had to coax her out and reunited with, uh, with Kitty Cat. And some of you have had stray pets or ones that have, have disappeared, and it's, it's, it's a joy. It's a blessing when, if, and when they do come, come back. So we will look for things that are, that are precious to us, that we love, that we do value. You know, also, too, we will also... We will spend time looking for things that are valuable to someone else that we love. We will spend time looking for things that are precious to the people that are precious to us. We'll spend time looking for Lego Batman under the couch and in the couch and all over because it might be precious to one of our kids or someone Maybe, you know, Lego Batman or whatever this is isn't that big of a deal to us, but it's precious to someone that is precious to us. You know, and that's something that we need to think about too in evangelism. When we think about other people, they're precious to the Lord. They're created in his image. Uh, he has, he has uh, put his, his love upon them. Are they precious to us as well? And if we realize if the Lord is precious to us, then even if we haven't grasped how precious people should be to us, how much we should value them, if you value the Lord, if you love him, if you're thankful for what he has done in your life and, and finding you, and you realize that other people, they, they're, they're precious to the Lord, he wants to see them saved. That's another motivation that we have to be used by God to help to seek and save the lost, those are, that, are, that are far from God, that are in their sin, that have not been reconciled. We should be willing to search diligently for them as well. Be part of the, part of the rescue team, part of the, part of the search party. You know, Jesus, he is the one that was willing to search diligently for us. When he talks about the shepherd here, 
You know, Jesus is the great shepherd that, that came for us. Jesus was willing to, to leave the 99 and go after the one. And when it says this, this is not talking about some kind of reckless love that God has. This isn't about him being reckless. This is about him being determined to save and to rescue those that are, that are his, those that he loves, that he cares about. And we think about the fact that Jesus is willing to, to leave the 99 and go after the one. It shows that he is caring about individuals, not just some nameless mass of humanity, but, but individuals. They, they, he cared enough about you personally to seek you and for your salvation. We need to search diligently because the thing that is lost is in danger. And there might be different types of danger. I mean, a lost coin, it's of no use to anyone because it's there. It's not fulfilling what it, it needs to do. It's, uh, it's of no use to anyone when it's just hidden in the corner or under some straw or when it's uh, lost. A lost sheep, even more, a lost sheep is in real danger. I mean, sometimes you hear people talk about a lone wolf, okay, but you don't hear people about the, the, the lone sheep going out there because the lone sheep is a dead sheep, okay? If it doesn't starve to death, it's getting eaten by the, by the wolf. It's being torn up, and that's why there's this urgency that the shepherd has to find the sheep. Is he going to find it alive, or is he going to find it torn to pieces, just the, the carcass and the remains, you know, looking for lost cats, and sometimes you have those fears. How am I going to find this when I, if I do find it? Is it going to be too late? Is it going to be a happy reunion, or a, is this going to be a sad thing? So we search diligently because the, the lost thing is in danger, and because we know that the, the lost thing is not going to find itself. We don't just wait around. A coin, okay, is not going to find itself. It's not going to say, well, I've been wandering too long. It's time to you know, get up and roll back, and here I am. It doesn't work that way. You might think, well, a sheep theoretically could. No, a sheep is, is just too dumb. Okay, it's not going to find its way back. It's not going to get unlost. But our condition, if Scripture says that we all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible is very clear that we're, we're not going to get ourselves unlost. We needed the Lord to come in to seek us. And to find us. In the book of Romans, it says, As it is written, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. I mean, this is our condition as sinners. That we, we are not seeking God. We, are not, we don't have uh, enough good in our hearts to want to turn to God and to do what is, is right, to do what is good. We needed him to take the initiative. We needed him to come and to seek us and to rescue us because we were lost, we were helpless, and we were not going to find ourselves. And praise God, that's what Jesus did. Later on in, in Luke, Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man... And this is a reference to, to Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, Son of God. These were both titles of the Messiah. It says he came to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus, he came, he did the seeking, 
we were lost, he came to find us. Which, by the way, sometimes you hear of churches that describe themselves as, uh, Lisa used to sometimes, as seeker churches. That they were churches for people that were, were seeking for, for God. And so sometimes they would create everything uh, designed for, for unbelievers to, to come in and, and hear the message. And, and sometimes some churches maybe did that in healthier ways than other churches. But it's kind of strange to think of uh, talking about people as seekers when actually Scripture says that no one seeks the Lord. If you found that you, you are, it's because God is working in your heart. That he is, it's not that you decided to seek him, it's that he is, he is drawing you to himself. If you're feeling that tug, if you're feeling that conviction, it's the Lord is seeking you. He is drawing you to himself. So there's a sense where I think we, sh- we should be a, a seeker church. Not that we re- think that people are seeking the Lord, but we want to be a church about the Lord who is seeking the lost. The lost are not seekers of Jesus, but Jesus is a seeker of the lost. And for us as followers of Jesus, as we become more like Jesus, we too will be seekers of the lost, right? If Jesus loves the lost, and if he is going after them, if we start to love God more, we're going to love more what, what he loves as well. We're going to be part of this mission, this great commission that he has given us. To, to seek and save the lost, to, to help the lost people find their shepherd, to find the, their, their way home, to find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God searched diligently for you. And if it's true that we will search diligently for what we love, I mean, do the math on that. It means that God loves you very much. That Jesus Christ loves you so much that he, he was willing to not just shine his spotlight from heaven, but even came to this earth. He died on the cross for us. He did all of this, this, this painful task that it takes. And he goes after us. He loves you very much. And finally, in each of these stories, we see that there is joy. There is, there is rejoicing. That there is, there is great joy when what was lost is found. Harry Ironside tells this story. He says, Years ago, I was staying with friends who had a great sheep ranch. And one evening, we were awaiting supper until the husband came home. We expected him to arrive about 6 o'clock, but he was late. When he came into the house, he said to his wife, My dear, I shall have to drink a cup of coffee and eat only a snack tonight, for as I came from the station, I heard the bleeding of a lost lamb. And I must hurry and find it before the coyotes or rattlesnakes get it. I asked if I might go with him, and he consented. I was amazed to see that man's interest in one lost lamb. He and a friend had more than 5,000 sheep and literally thousands of lambs. And yet that one lost lamb had such a place in his heart that he could not resist going out into the night to find it. I said as we went along a narrow trail, you have so many sheep and lambs, I wonder why you are so much concerned about one. And he said, I would not be able to sleep tonight 
for thinking about that little lamb out in the wilderness and perhaps uh, torn into pieces by the coyotes or bitten by a rattler. And he called out as we went along the trail, bah, bah, bah. And I listened eagerly for an answer. He listened eagerly for an answer. At last we heard from, from down in the canyon among the thick brush, a little voice crying, bah, bah, bah. My friend answered back with a, with a loud uh, baths with more sheep noises and he said there it is you stay here I'll go down and get it and down he went holding on his flashlight and when he got to the bottom he shouted back I have it it's all right and we went home rejoicing together there's great joy in what was lost what was separated from where it should be when when it's found when it's reunited with its owner and we see that with the, the lamb. We see that with the, with the coin that is found. We also need to notice in, in both of those accounts, we need to talk about this. It, it uses the word repents. In verse 7 it said, Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And then in verse 10 it says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Repentance is a part of this. Let me define it like this. For In this case, repentance is turning back to God when he finds you. You know, when I mentioned having to look for this cat, and when I found this cat, it was, it was under a bush, and it, 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 it had been lost for a while, and it was scared. And I had to coax it to, to come out, to to come to me. And repentance can be, can be hard because we've lived in sin for so long that it can be hard to, to admit that, we've, that we're sinners against God. It can be hard to, to admit and to recognize that what we have done is, is bad, not just in our eyes, but in the Lord's eyes, to really let it sink in. This deserves condemnation. I need a Savior for my sin. And then to trust Him enough to believe Him that it is good and it is safe to come to him. But that's what salvation is. It's this combination of faith and repentance. Turning from, from uh, instead of turning away from God, we're turning to him. God takes the initiative first, and then we respond in trust and repentance. And so the Lord is seeking you. Respond in trust and repentance, turning to him. And don't think, well, you're such a bad, scandalous sinner that, well, this couldn't be true for you. This is good for all the, for the nice people, but not for you, because you've done other things. Remember the context of this. It was the sinners, the, 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 the notorious ones, the tax collectors. That's who this was all about. And the, the other people, they were upset that Jesus was receiving these scandalous sinners. So what about you? Are you a really bad sinner? Are you a scandalous one? Awesome. It will be so beautiful. It will be so beautiful when Jesus finds you and you turn to him for forgiveness from your sins. There will be rejoicing in your heart. There will be rejoicing from your friends, your relatives, those that care about you. There will be rejoicing in, in heaven because you were lost and now you are, you are found. 
You were found by the shepherd. You were forgiven by him. The shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, that's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. So this is a call for those that if you recognize, you think that you are worse than anyone else. And this isn't, again, just about the people who are really bad, at least by our standards. Think about this. It says, joy in heaven for people that repent, and more than those that didn't need repentance. Who is there in heaven right now that didn't need to repent? Okay, there's God. He never needed to repent. He never did anything wrong. There's the elect angels, the ones that never fell and never sinned. And that's all good. They're there, but there was never any joy that these angels repented and, and were saved. The only human being that is in heaven is the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, because he never sinned. Everyone else that is in heaven now or ever will be is there because they believed and repented. On our part, that is the, the qualification when the Lord seeks us and when he draws us to himself. And if you believe and repent, you can be there too one day. And as you said, there will be great joy, a reunion with the thing that is loved. The separation is over. See, the shepherd, it says in verse 5, and he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. You see him, like, hoisting this lamb up on his shoulders. And you just get this picture of tenderness, of his, his protective care. And let me ask you this. Do you think that shepherd, once he finds the sheep, he's, what's he going to do with it? He's going to take it all the way home, isn't he? He's not going to take this and just uh, take it a little ways and say, okay, you're on your own now. He's going to take it all the way home. And when the Lord finds you, when you are found, when you are saved, he is going to take you into his arms, and he is going to take you safely all the way home as well. It would be great joy. You know, we get excited about things that fade. We get excited about things that don't really matter very much at all. Your sports team wins. Yay, that's great. Okay. That's going to fade. After the next game or a few days, it's not going to be all that important. But when, when a person is saved, when there's someone that, is going to, that would have spent eternity in hell and now spends eternity with the Lord, praising him, experiencing joy with Jesus Christ and being able to, uh, to glorify them with, with their hearts, this, that's something that lasts forever. Even one person being saved, that's, that's a person forever and ever and ever. That, that matters. That matters so much. And that's why you see these people, they're calling other people to rejoice with them. And we think of evangelism, we think of this. Sometimes maybe you've been more motivated by guilt than joy to evangelize, to do outreach. Because sometimes we, we present it that way. You know, you should feel bad. You don't care much about the lost and they're going to hell and all of this. And feel bad, so you better get out there and do your part. Now, okay, there might be a little bit to that. But I, I, what a gr- better motivator is, is joy. The joy that we have of seeing the lost be found. Someone having their life changed and transformed. And now they're in union with, with God and Jesus Christ. <sighs> I hope that you've experienced the joy of you being found. 
And I hope that you've also experienced the joy of, of seeing somebody else found. Have you ever been a part of somebody coming to faith in Christ? It is a unique thing. It is an indescribable thing. Whether you were the one that got to witness to them or even pray with them, or even if you were just part of the, the planting the seed and, and watering this, and maybe it's been, you know, I know some of you have stories of people that you prayed for for years or years or decades, and finally they come to the Lord. There, there is a, a joy there that is absolutely indescribable. And I, I hope you have it. I hope you've experienced that. And for those of you that haven't, I just got to tell you, you need to experience that. It is such a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. If we want to think about big applications for this message, I mean, there's some obvious ones. One would be, hey, get found. If you are lost, the Lord is calling you. He is looking for you. You can be found by him. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save you. He's already done everything that was needed to happen when he died on the cross and rose again for your salvation. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You just have to believe and accept. Turn away from all the, the sin and all the stuff that you've been loving. Turn to him and, and come to your Savior that, is, that is, came to seek you and is drawing you to himself. He's calling to you. Second, enjoy being found. Take joy in being found. And this is part of why we get together and we worship. We praise God for the, the grace that he's given us that we once were lost, now we're, we're found. And that is a, a joy that keeps on generating joy in our heart. And we see other people come to Christ. That's why we do this together. We don't, not just on our own, because we, we have joy in our salvation, and we have joy in each other's salvation. We have joy in what we see God doing. Take joy in that. A holy God came and, and died for, for you and I on the cross. That's a big deal. That is an amazing loving, awesome God that we can take joy in, that we can praise with our lips and with our life. And also, we want to be, be looking for others. Get searching for others. Be part of God's, God's search party. Jesus Christ is the, is the one that needs to save them. But he uses us to help find and to seek and save the lost. He's given us as Christians, as the church, this mission to go and, and help people to, to be introduced to, to know Jesus Christ. And he will work through you in order to do this. And this is part of our life's calling. Whether you have the official gift of evangelism or not, there's, he wants all of us to be a part of doing this. You know, last year, we had a focus for 2018. We focused on, we focused on fellowship. And we started doing fellowship dinners. We had sermons on that. And we did a lot to focus on, on connecting with one another um, as, as believers in Christ and, and what that means and how we uphold each other. And there's so many things I'm really thankful for. I'm thankful for the way that when people here have needs, other people come alongside them. There's so many good things. And we want to keep that going. We're going to keep doing fellowship dinners. You know, if you didn't make the sign up for this one, hopefully you get the next one in, in spring when we do that. But for 2019, we'll have a different, another focus. Not every sermon will be about this, but some will. And I want us as a church to focus and think about this, that this year will make the focus for us being on outreach, 
about taking God's message to the lost, helping the lost sheep to be found. And I want to read this to you. When I was candidating for the position here, um, I wrote a document and handed it in about five things that I thought should be true of a healthy church. And one of them that I wrote was, was this. It said, a healthy church has an evangelistic heart for the lost and an outward focus. A healthy church is not content to keep the blessings of the gospel to itself. Instead, a healthy church desires to obey Christ's great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 28, 19, 19 through 28. A healthy church will have a heart like Jesus had, a heart of compassion for the lost. Luke 15, 1 through 32. And a healthy church will care about evangelism both individually and as a church, both locally and globally. And a healthy church will be a lighthouse, not a clubhouse. If we only focus on fellowship, we will turn this church into uh, a nice little clubhouse for members. But I know this church doesn't believe that that's what we're called to do. We are supposed to be here for each other, but we're also a lighthouse to take God's message into the world, to help seek and save those who are lost. And so one challenge that I have for you as we finish up here, I, you have that index card. And I want you to think about who are some people that you that God puts on your heart, that you can be a part of reaching. People that maybe you, you suspect or you know that they do not know Jesus Christ. And I want you to write this down. I'll give you five categories. And if God puts someone on your mind right away, write that on the card. Otherwise, just write the category and think about this. We're not going to collect these. Okay, this is for, for your personal uh, use here, and this is a challenge that I, that I give to you, but I picked out five categories, so you can think of maybe five different types of sheep. And I'm giving you five, you know, I mean, we care about everyone, and if God puts other people on your heart, or opportunities, yeah, do what you can, but sometimes if we just leave it too open, it's too easy to not really go after anyone in specific, or to be praying for them. Um, but if you just do one, well, sometimes we can miss other people. One person's not responding, but maybe there's you know, someone, right, someone else you know, that, that would respond. So here's five categories I want to give you for five to, to find, to help find. One, why don't you think of a neighbor? Okay, someone that maybe lives close to you in some sense. Okay? That is far from God or not where they, they should be with the Lord. A relative, a friend, so someone that you do have an acquaintance uh, with, they are a friend, maybe they're local, maybe they're not, a coworker or an acquaintance. And sometimes it's the people that you're, you're around, that God has put you in proximity to them, and, and they're part of your mission field. You know, when you go to work, when maybe... Uh, you don't work out of the home, but maybe you're part of an organization, you're part of, you know, some events at school or different things. You know, who is it that you can be praying for, that you can be trying to uh, help the Lord find? And last we'll say someone that you don't know well, someone that you got that you would need to build a relationship first, probably, 
to be more effective in helping them to be found. And here's what I want you to do. This is my challenge for you. is to start with this, to pray for these five people every day this week. You know, by name, spend some time praying for them. You know, keep the card, maybe put it in a place that will be a reminder to you. My hope is that you keep on going praying for them. But if I tell you, you know, do it all year long, that might seem overwhelming. So just try for this week. Get into the habit and hopefully you just, you keep going. Look for opportunities, for open doors to point them to Christ. Sometimes you'll find the doors wide open. Sometimes you just notice, hey, you've got a little crack. There's something that you could say that might get them thinking. Something that you could say that might uh, plant a seed, that might move them a little bit closer. Be praying for God's wisdom to, to, to open doors and for you to see it, not sit back when it presents itself. And the last challenge, look for the opportunity to invite one of them to meet you at church. Someone that is, is appropriate for them to, to meet you at church. And here's why I say it like this. Not just, um, and you'll have to find the right time and the right person. I get, I get that. But I say to meet you at church because there's a lot of anxiety going to church. When you don't know it, you don't know, are you going to sit in somebody else's pew? What's it like? What's going on? But let me suggest this. What if you said to someone, you said, hey, meet me at First Baptist Church. and Show up at, at 10, 1050, and I'll meet you at the door. Or you say, better yet, text me when you get there, and I will come out, and I will meet you at the door. And we will go in together. I'll show you around, and, and we'll sit together. If you, doing that probably takes their anxiety level from here. They've probably still got some anxiety, but I think you're dropping it way down. That you're going you're gonna to meet them, you're going to bring them in, they have a place to sit. That's just my suggestion to you. You're going to have to be praying about and listening to the Lord as far as who and when and the right way to do this. But I want to challenge you to do that. Next week, the message is on the prodigal son. That'd be a good one. If you're ready for that, a good one for, uh, for evangelism. There's other things we're going to be doing as well. The PM services in the next uh, tonight and next week are going to be about having to do, they'll be a little bit more like seminars than sermons. There's an outreach event I'm excited to tell you about. We'll tell you about that soon. It should be pretty cool. But I want us to be thinking about this. Because here's the truth, the bottom line. We were lost. Jesus found us. Hey, let us rejoice. And let us seek the lost with him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Thank you that we were lost in our sins. And that you came and you did what it took to, to find us. And that even when we were still running away from you and we were rejecting you and scared in our sin and all of this, that you worked in our heart. You drew us to yourself. You changed our heart of sin and and, and fear and everything into a heart of, of trust and we came to you, Lord God. And Lord, we thank you for that. For those here that are already found, help us to live lives of praise to you. For anyone here that needs to get found, Lord, draw them to yourself, Lord God. Help them to be found by you and find forgiveness in Christ. And if they need to talk to someone after the service, pray that they would find me or Pastor Nick or one of the others here, and we would love to talk to them. Keep going after them, Lord God. And Lord, use this church 
as a lighthouse to seek and save the lost for your glory. And we thank you for the joy that comes with that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.